I've entitled the message tonight, No Conviction, No Conversion. No Conviction, No Conversion. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said back in the 1900s, as he was coming into the 20th century, he said, what we're going to see as we come into this 20th century is conversion without regeneration. In other words, it's going to be a dead conversion. Conversion without regeneration. We're going to see salvation without repentance. Easy believism. Come, trust Christ, and live as you please. Conversion without regeneration. Salvation without repentance. Religion without the Holy Ghost. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. We are living in days in which conviction, conviction of sin, is alarmingly close and alarmingly scarce. I remember during our college days, staying in college, we were foreign students, and so we stayed in over the weekend, most often. And uh, then we'd come back to the classes on the Monday morning, and uh, the students would speak, did you hear about so-and-so? They were saved. Or that individual, he was saved. And it was common practice at those times, somewhere in the mid to late 80s, for souls to be converted, brought under conviction of sin, and converted by the grace of God. So we, suddenly, that tide of blessing has gone out. And we're living in days in which conviction of sin is alarmingly scarce. Yet, the salvation of a soul is always preceded and accompanied by this convicting and convincing work of which Jesus spoke here in John chapter 16. No one is ever truly saved without experiencing this conviction which the Lord Jesus spoke, John 16, and the verses especially 7 to 11. People often think that they can be saved at will. We come back to this matter of the will. And when Adam exercised his will, said yes to sin and fell into sin, everything concerning Adam fell. And in him we all fell. And the will came crumbling down. It is no longer as it once was in the case of Adam, a will wholly inclined to righteousness and good. Now it's an enslaved, a bond will, prone to do that which is evil. I tell you, the sinner has an uphill struggle to ever find his way back to God. He could never do it on his own. No man can come to the Father except the Father which has sent me draw him. And so there are individuals who think they can be saved at will their will. Telling God essentially what they're going to do, when they're going to do it. But the fact is you'll never decide. You will never decide to be saved until the Holy Ghost comes in and gives you the divine unction concerning this great matter of his salvation. And they think they'll just be saved when they will, as they will. God's time is now. It's always been the case, always will be the case. God's time for salvation, this is God's time, is here and it is now. And too often those who preach the gospel fail to realize how imperative it is to secure the convicting work 
of the Holy Spirit if ever spiritual results are to be produced. Now, in the salvation of soul, it is always God who takes the initiative. You think of the case there in Genesis 3 after the fall. Adam was on the run. He was hiding from God. It wasn't Adam seeking God. God, as he always does, took the first step. He took the initiative and he went after Adam. Now, it would have been quite just for God to say, I have nothing to do with this man. I performed a wonderful work of creation, made him a wonderful work of my hand, I've given him a wonderful creation, and he's thrown it all away. And he sinned. Let him and all his inhabitants, descendants after him, perish headlong in the lake of fire. But he didn't. He came seeking. He came in this great work of salvation. And he was convicting the heart and life of Adam and Eve. And this is God. This is just the way God is. He always, always takes the initiative in the salvation of a sinful soul. You remember what the Lord Jesus himself said in the earlier portion, John chapter 6, and the verse number 44, no man, notice this, it can come. There's inability. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. See, it's not a matter of just you deciding, I'll be saved. That is so foreign to what the Bible teaches. No man can come to the Father except the Father which has sent me, draw him. John 6, and the verse number 44. Now, that raises the question, how does the Father draw men and women to Christ? Well, the answer is by the Holy Spirit. And the first great work that the Holy Spirit accomplishes is this work of conviction. Now, in simple terms, this means that he convinces us of our desperate need of a Savior. And his striving and his speaking are all with this view that this great work of conviction. I stress it again there in verse number 8. And when he is come, first things first, the first week he does is he will reprove this world of sin. Now, I want tonight, with the help of the Spirit of God, to answer two vital questions regarding this great matter of Holy Ghost conviction. The first is this. Of what does the Holy Spirit convict the sinner? Well, really, it is quite simple, isn't it? First of all, he can fix the sinner of sin. Not simply of sins, the fruit, but of sin, the root. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. Again, the root. And the paramount sin of unbelief. The sinner rejecting Christ. Again, John 16 and verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. And so here's the great crux of the matter. This matter of sin is seen especially in the rejection of Jesus Christ. Christ is set freely before men in his fullness, in his grace, and in his power. But sinful man says, no, no Christ for me. 
I, well, I believe that there is a Christ, I suppose. One who came and one who lived and one who died. But uh, he's really nothing to me. I don't certainly believe he'll do what he said. I don't believe he'll send the sinner to hell. I wish, how I wish tonight, I could find some secret entrance into the caverns of the daft. And for you and I, you and your unbelief, to descend down there with me, and as we get close to those caverns, to hear, hear his cries, to smell the smoke of their torment, sending day and night. And I fear that you will never be delivered from everlasting burnings of hell until the Spirit of God convicts you and in essence brings you in your experience this awful experience of rejecting the Holy, rejecting the Holy Spirit, rejecting Christ, and as a consequence, securing your own damnation of sin because they believe not on me. Our consciences, if they are not too seared, will convict us of sin such as theft, untruthfulness, jealousy. But it is only when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes that we see the enormity of sin, the terribleness of rejecting the Savior whom God has provided. And the greatest sin that anyone can commit, and the one sin by which we are all condemned, is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. I had thought maybe in time to come and preaching sometime on the unpardonable sin. It is a sin that rejects the working of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. But it is my own conviction that this sin is seen primarily in the rejection of Jesus Christ. There's no remedy for that sin. You're sinning against the remedy. You're sinning against the one who can deliver you from sin. John 3 in the verse number 36. Read these words. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Present tense. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Unbelief is a sin of the blackest dye. It is a sin which will damn the soul in hell, body and soul. And this business of making light of Jesus Christ is most fearful. And when I hear men taking his name in vain, I cringe. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless. Guilty! I have formed you. I've given you life. I've given you a Bible. I've given you a gospel preaching church. I've given you everything. And yet you make light of me. God one day is going to turn that all around. You'll not make light of Christ in judgment day. You'll cry then as you should be crying now, God be merciful to me the sinner, but the cry will be too late. Far too late. 
So you're sinning against the remedy when you sin against Christ. You don't believe what he says. You don't believe his word. You don't believe his people. It's an awful, awful sin. And then he convicts the sinner of righteousness. He convicts of a righteousness which he does not have and should have. In Isaiah chapter 64, we read that we are all as an unclean thing. The longer that I have been saved, the more I have come to the realization that by nature I am a most unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, the sum total, every one of them, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's God's estimation. You say, well, I'm not a bad fellow. Uh, I go to church. I, I work, I do this, I do that. Let me tell you something. That's the language of damnation. I, I, I. God be, this is the I you should have, it should be me. God be merciful to me, a sinner. God demands a perfect righteousness. And you just do not have it. You never will have it. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, he convicts of a righteousness which is required, perfect righteousness. Thank the Lord, the righteousness he provides is just the righteousness you need. It's all you need. And then he convicts us of a righteousness which is provided by God, of tremendous stature, perfect, seamless robe of Christ's impeccable righteousness. That's the standard that God expects from you and expects from me. Adam sinned that away. And in him we all sinned it away. And God rightly, justly expects this righteous standard. But we've come short of the mark. We've missed the mark. Every time we miss the mark. But this wonderful provision by God is offered to man in the person of his son which is received by faith alone. And apart from the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, that's what you need. The light needs to go on in your heart and in your soul. And apart from the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, man has no true conception of his own unrighteousness or of God's righteousness. He doesn't see man as God sees him. He doesn't see what God expects. Absolutely perfect. You and I couldn't go through one hour of one day without sin. And you think that you're going to set before God a righteousness that He will accept? What fools sinners are. What fools all of us are on too many occasions. He convicts the sinner of righteousness, and then He convicts the sinner of judgment. The Holy Spirit convinces men. That Satan and all who belong to him are already doomed. Of judgment because the prince of this world is just. Sentence has been passed. And the only thing left to happen now is that the sentence be waited to be carried out. He convicts the sinner of sin, of righteousness... And of judgment to come. Now what great need there is today. Time is short. For this threefold convicting work of the Holy Spirit. 
There is absolutely no substitute for it. Organization, the personality of the preacher, etc., etc., will all fail. And the preacher isn't preaching long before he realizes it will all fail. He can be the best preacher in the world. But apart from the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, he preaches in vain. Only the Holy Spirit can convince men of their desperate need of Christ. And that's what you need. There was a time when there was a soft heart. Heart which was sensitive to the voice of God. But you've sinned that away. And how you need the Spirit of God to bring the Savior to your heart and to your life in power. I remember when I was saved, I'm thinking sometime, time down the road, if Reverend Harris ever asked me again to preach, well, I know he asked me uh, the first Sunday in August uh, to preach, but I'm thinking sometime of, well, two sermons. One, the unpardonable sin, and two, uh, giving my testimony. And I can remember as clear as anything, as though it were yesterday, 12 years of age. I went into a tabernacle building. I'd been out that day with the principal's son. We were having many a good laugh. Just 12 years of age. I went into the meeting in that frame of mind. I didn't have a care in my heart, in my soul. I was laughing. I thought I was okay. I mean, after all, I'd made a profession. Everything's all right with me, but I'll tell you this. The preacher, Pastor William Mullen, wasn't preaching very long before, but I had a meeting with God. God had a meeting with me. And it was terrible. But oh, how wonderful it became. There was such an awareness of the righteousness of God and my own sinfulness. I knew I was heading for damnation. And I didn't trifle about the things of God. God didn't trifle with me. He never trifles with any soul. And he'll not trifle the souls tonight. He'll not treat others as others treat him. Trivial. Trifle. What an awful experience. But oh, how I blessed the hand and the heart of God that he met with me. He gave me a true revelation of himself. And I saw all at once how desperately I needed Christ. There was no one had to tell me. No one had to try and convince me I needed to be saved. I knew it. The Holy Ghost. I brought it down. In power to my life. May he do so tonight. As he takes his own precious word. Now that brings me to the second question this evening. How does the Holy Spirit bring this conviction? Well, he does his work of conviction through the preaching of the gospel. The word of God, the gospel, the sword. It's not a healing instrument that he gives initially. It's a sword to cut, to slay. The sword of the Spirit is his favorite weapon. And it is the most powerful weapon. So the the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is what he uses to effect that salvation of all who believe. We can only see conviction resulting from our preaching if we are faithfully preaching the gospel. If we are preaching all the counsel of God. 
And when Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, his hearers were convicted of sin. Maybe we could just turn very briefly to Acts chapter 2. And we have, in essence, the preaching here of Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2. And the verse number 23. Peter is preaching. He says, Him, speaking of Christ, being delivered by the foreknowledge, determinate counsel, and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's what they thought of Christ. That's what they thought of the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit come along under the preaching of the Apostle Peter, and he convicts the sinners of their sin. They crucify. The blessed Christ of God. And then he also preached righteousness. Verse number 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. There's the righteousness of Christ. Sin could never take hold of the Savior. He's a spotless Savior. He's a sinless Savior. And as this great standard was preached, God the Holy Ghost, he seeks to exalt Christ. That's the great ministry of the Holy Spirit. When he, he has come, he will testify of Christ. By the way, any movement that purports to be of the Holy Spirit is not of the Spirit when it speaks of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit has come, he testifies of Christ. And as Paul, rather the Apostle Peter, preached this, his hearers were convicted. And then there's the thought of judgment here in verse 19 and 20. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Judgment to come. Now what was the result of all this? Well, we have it in the verse number 37 of this chapter for the promise rather now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do there there is the power of God there's the power of the Holy Spirit they're no longer saying well I'm not a bad fellow I do the best that I can I'm not that compared to my neighbor I think I'm quite good there was none of this language and when Peter began to speak of the great tokens of God's judgment to come to the end of the age, the people were, as it were, wringing their hearts, their hands in despair. What, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do? There was only one thing they could do. That was repent and believe the gospel. So he does his work of conviction through the preaching of the gospel. We must keep at the preaching. Of the glorious gospel. He does his work of conviction also through the personal witness of Christians. He does not only do so by public preaching but by personal witnessing. As is the case when Philip was preached, when Paul reasoned before Felix, when Paul testified before Agrippa. I remember Mrs. Harris preaching, or rather, praying. We all preach and are praying a little bit. But I remember her praying concerning this matter of witnessing and how at times we can become overcome with fear and we, we tremble. 
And I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Paul, how, as he gave this word of personal witness, that Felix trembled. It wasn't Paul who trembled. It was Felix. And uh, when Paul began to reason with him of righteousness, of temperance, and of judgment, Felix trembled. He wasn't saved. It's never enough just to tremble. He must come all the way to Christ. But there was this great work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Felix as Paul began this word of personal witness. When Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, literally, literally, people hung on to the doors of the posts of the church for fear of slipping into hell. That was the conviction that the Spirit of God brought to that meeting and to those hearers. And then he does his work of conviction and answer to the prayers of God's people. Now, here's scope, not only for the preacher, but for the Christians who are present in the gospel meeting to pray as the preacher preaches, to pray for this convicting work of the Holy Spirit to accompany the message as it goes forth. And uh, could I just say regarding the upper room, marvelous testimony in, in the offering that was raised. But you know, there's a better way, an even better way of sanctifying that upper room. And that is, on the Wednesday night, to come and pray. I know it's very difficult for young families and so on to be present at the Lord's Day pre-service prayer meetings. I understand that. But on the Wednesday, the most important meeting of the week, bar none, is the prayer meeting. Where you can pray for your family. That God will send conviction through the ministry of the gospel as it's preached in this place. And it's my prayer that that upper room, Wednesday night by Wednesday night, will be filled. That God's people would send forth a great volume of prayer heavenward. For the Holy Ghost to fall on the hearts of every hearer, and that God again will work and move in his own mighty, irresistible power. And then he does his work of conviction to cleanse, yielded, and spirit-filled lives. Stephen was stoned to death, you know that, and Saul witnessed his death. He heard his testimony, and he saw his Christ-like spirit. Now, was it not at this point that Saul first became convicted? That, of course, was the great work of the Spirit of God in his own heart and in his own life. That's what you need tonight, dear friend. You need the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because God cuts. He takes the sword. He stabs. He cuts. He does so that ultimately he may comfort and he may heal. I remember how intense was the feeling of conviction. But then I also remember how intense was the feeling of joy. Joy unspeakable. At the close of the meeting, we all made our way to a nearby adjoining complex. I can still see it in my mind's eye. I always had hope someday I would get back to that place before I die. Where I first confessed Christ. 
And uh, Pastor William Allen asked for all the individuals. I, I would gather there were about 20 or so. Some of them, I thought they were saved. Some of them were in Bible school. <laughs> but they didn't have Christ. And uh, everyone was to give a little word of testimony. Of course, I was the back, the very back. And when he came to me, I couldn't say a word. I tried. But I was so full of the joy of the Lord. And that awful experience of the convicting work of the Holy Ghost passed. And in this place it was joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's why God cuts that he may heal. That's the gracious purpose that God has in view when he comes to any soul under the preaching of the glorious gospel. I wonder tonight, are you convicted? won't be through my preaching. It'll be through the application of the word of God by the Holy Spirit to your heart. Have you been convicted? Has there ever been a time in your life in which you've realized I've sinned against God? What hope do I have? Maybe over process of time that's become smaller and smaller. That awareness of the righteousness of God. I tell you this, if it comes, and I pray it will, you need to seize the opportunity because one day it's going to pass and pass never to return. Because you've just kept rejecting Christ. That's the unpardonable sin. In my view, it's no light thing. And I pray that tonight God will give you grace simply to cry out to the Lord for mercy. Cry for the application of the Savior's blood to your heart. Clothe you with his righteousness. And give you a firm, unshakable foundation before God. And that you can stand and say, I'm saved. Saved. By the grace of God. Call upon him tonight. The Bible says, whosoever shall call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.